Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our health care system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our health care system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better health care system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the DrScore.com physician rating website. Well, we have a terrific show today. It's packed with practical, basic advice on the fundamentals of how you can have better health care. We're going to talk about how you can become more engaged in directing your health care, how you can become a better partner with your physician, how you can make sure unnecessary tests aren't done. Our guest today is Margot Corbett. Margot started her career studying process development, quality in management, and after three life-changing, personal life-threatening experiences, she decided to apply her professional skills towards helping herself and others get great medical care. She's done this through creating the Savvy Patients Toolkit, a book. She has a blog. She has an entire school devoted to this. Over the next few minutes, Margot's going to share with us highlights of how you can get better health care. Margot, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you. It's very glad. Very, very good to be here. Let's start just by talking about the major common challenges that affect people's ability to get great medical care. Well, I would say one of the things that I hear the most as I'm interacting with people is that appointments are too short. Um, with all the squeezing that's happened in, to doctors these days, uh, patients just don't seem to be getting the time they feel they need in their appointments. Uh, you and, know, I, I like to think of that as patients love their doctor and want to spend time with them. <laughs> Yes, I, I would think so. Um, they, yeah, and I think a lot of people are finding it harder. I know personally myself, I, it's taking longer to get appointments. I used to be able to pick up the phone and get an appointment fairly quickly, but uh, it's getting harder and harder to do that. And it's interesting because I got a, a, a study came to my attention that has just been published by the National Partnership for Women and Families. And um, it was speaking right to this, what are the biggest challenges? They were saying that 30 to 35% of the people were missing test results when they go to appointments. And missing test it. results? What do you mean? That, that they were supposed to have test results already done and they weren't done or that they never found out what they were? Oftentimes the, appoint, the test results are some that were supposed to have been sent over by another doctor uh, and they just you know, had not gotten there or mm -hmm. had not made it into the patient's file. You know, one wonders whether patients should have their own file. Well, yeah, that's my, my premise is that they should and that they should get copies of every test that's done on them. And every test, yeah. You're not the first guest on this show who brought that up. Um, a malpractice attorney on um, a few months ago 
made that same point from from his perspective, and he sees the worst stuff going on, um, the things that could have been avoided, mistakes or problems that could have been avoided. One of the things that would have avoided those problems was people taking responsibility to make sure they had all their own test results and make sure they got back to them. Absolutely. I think patients have a huge role to play in the quality of the health care they receive, and we don't even realize it. We were never taught how to be patients in the first place. And as the medical system has evolved over the last 50 or 60 years, especially with older people, they just don't understand how the changes have really impacted them and that they've needed to change the way they think about their health care, the way they think about their doctors, and the way they interact with them. And it's, it's just not in, in their minds to, to understand that. Okay, so we've talked about a couple of the major challenges. The appointments are too short, takes too long to get them, missing test results. What else? Well, one of the biggest uh, results out of this study was that 75% of the patients leaving either their appointments or the hospital are confused about what they're supposed to do when they get home. Oh, that is fascinating. You know, in my own work... I've seen times when I've I've given patients very simple, straightforward instructions, and probably by the time they got to the car, they forgot what those instructions were. If, if they're not in writing, it's hopeless. That's right. Uh, studies show that people forget 50% the minute they walk out the door. Uh, I was talking about it with my internist not too long ago, and he said, oh, no, it's 75 to 85%. And I said, well, maybe that's three minutes after they walk out the door. But that's why I encourage people to have an advocate, someone that knows all about their health care, goes to their appointments with them, and takes notes for them and acts as a prompter off of their prepared notes that they have prepared before they've even gotten into the appointment. I think one of the reasons patients forget is that they are so emotionally tied up in their medical care well, for good reasons, that it's that the brain isn't tuning into remembering uh, detailed instructions. It makes one wonder whether an advocate who's too close to you, who might equally be tied up emotionally, might um, might not be the best advocate for you. It might be better to have somebody who's a little more objective and will take objective notes and will remember things better. That That's a good possibility. I think it just depends on the people that are in your life and choosing the one that's going to be able to do that job best for you. Were there any other um, key, key challenges? Um, I would say that what I hear, especially amongst the elderly, but it just people in general, um, too many medications are giving out to treat symptoms rather than exploring the underlying cause. And the other one is related to that, in especially in older people where they have side effects from some medication, and they're given another medication to treat the side effect. And so they end up, uh, I can't tell you the number of people that tell me my mother or my father was on 10, 12, 15 medications, and they were all interacting with each other, and they were got to the point where they couldn't even function. And once they were taken off the medications and put back on the very few that they needed, uh, they were much better off, and they, they were able to start functioning again and felt much better. So I think that we overuse medicine in this country. In dermatology, we see patients with drug rashes, and 
you, you can never tell what drug that's causing them. So invariably, you know, our answer to the referring doctor is, uh, yeah, it looks like a drug rash. Stop all the unnecessary meds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if the meds were unnecessary, they should have been stopped a long time ago. That's right. And I think this is where patients can help themselves a lot. Um, I've developed what I call the critical question series. I've got nine sets of questions people need to have at their access when they go to see a physician so that they can ask all the right questions, and especially when it comes to medications. They need doctors. Once again, I'm a, I guess I'm a study quoter these days. They, the last study that I read with regards to medications was that because of the short appointments, doctors are forgetting to tell people at least 25 to 30 percent of what they should tell them. And then once again, we go back to whether or not the patient can remember the things when they leave the appointment. Yes. I wonder if, to what extent, more time with the doctor explaining things really isn't necessarily as helpful as somebody taking time to write it down and hand it to the patient. Um, That would help. But I think on the patient's side of things, too many people are not engaged in their health care. They don't know enough about themselves. They don't know enough about their bodies. They don't know enough about their diseases or the medications they're taking, and they're not taking it upon themselves to become knowledgeable. So I I see that as a fault of the patient. And that's an interesting perspective, you know, because as a physician, I think it's all our fault. Um, You know, I think it's a good habit, no matter what field you're in, to take personal responsibility. So if you're on the patient side and you're a patient advocate, that's great. Say that it's the patient's fault. Figure out what, what patients can do to solve the problem. From a doctor's perspective, I want to take responsibility and, and, and say, well, what can I do to fix this problem? Well, I think one of the problems with our whole approach to medicine in this country and, and maybe even our own mindset that has grown in this country is we're all waiting for everybody to take care of all the problems, and we're not willing to do our part. And that's in all aspects of our life. And it, it's just as important, even more important. I mean, stop and think about it. People keep detailed records on their finances. They keep detailed records on their car maintenance. When they go out to buy a major appliance, they learn everything they can about it before they go buy it. Why don't they do that when it comes to their health and their health care? Why don't they? Do you have a sense of why that is? I think that um, people are intimidated. Um, not too many people were interested in science when growing up. Um, I think the terminology of medicine is too intimidating, uh, especially for older people. Uh, I think they grew up with doctors on a pedestal, and the, the whole world of medicine was mysterious, and they're frightened by it. Um, I think people are also frightened of the fact of finding out that something's wrong. So they kind of go into it thinking, well, everything's fine, so I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about it. And so they don't get involved in it. The one other challenge that I I hear talked about a lot that we haven't covered so far is the cost of care. Is, is that something that, that, that you think needs to be addressed? Oh, absolutely, and I don't know how I forgot that one. <laughs> um, it absolutely needs to be addressed, and I think that the patient has a great role in helping reduce health care costs. If you stop and think about it, health care costs are created one patient, one test, one appointment, one error at a time, and they can decrease the exact same way. 
so that if patients get more involved and do a better job of doing their part, they can have less tests, they can get quicker and more accurate diagnosis if they learn how to communicate what's going on with them better, and they can prevent a lot of medical errors that they don't even realize they create themselves, or they can foresee them or do things to act as a double check on the medical system to make sure things are being done right before things are done. Well, I want to investigate this a little further with you. You know, the president and the legislature has passed health care reform that has perhaps improved some people's access but probably hasn't done much more than an iota to address the cost problem. And here you may have a solution that the patient can can bring down the cost. Can you give us, for example, a, a tangible example of how this would work? Oh, absolutely. This whole book came about the night my – the first form for it came about the night my husband was told. Now, this book you're talking about, this is – the Savvy Patients Toolkit that you created. That's right. Okay. And my husband was told one morning to go get an ultrasound on his kidneys. He'd been having symptoms for months. And when we got to the hospital to have the ultrasound done, they said, please wait until we get the results. And a doctor came out afterwards, which really surprised me to no end. And he said, Mr. Corbett, I'm a urologist. He said, I hate to tell you this, but you're in kidney failure. My first job is to uh, admit you through emergency. Next job is to save your life, and after that, to keep you off dialysis as long as possible. Now, that was a pretty devastating situation, to say the least. You went in not knowing that there was any problem. Well, I knew he'd been in trouble for six months, and I had not been going to his appointments with him uh, because I was busy with my life, and... Uh, we hadn't been married very long. We were adults, grown adults with grown children, and we were just used to taking care of ourselves. Uh, I did not realize how difficult it was for him to identify what was going on in his body, to then verbalize it, and to then be able to explain it to his doctor. And so this went on for months. And I would try and prep him with some things to, to ask her to find out about and he would come home, and his answers were very vague, and I was getting very frustrated. So I had an appointment three days before he did once, and I begged her to do some tests and wondered why she hadn't done any, and I think it made her realize that there was something really wrong with him. And she did the tests. His kidney function tests were high. Um, she thought it was because of the medication she added to his other high blood pressure medications, Mm-hmm. So she, she's the family physician or internist? She was an internist, mm-hmm. and she chose to decrease the dose of that particular medication because it could affect the kidneys. Um, his function test became, came back a little bit better, but she did not wake up to the fact, and I don't know why, or whether she was in denial at that point because he should have been admitted to the hospital immediately with the level that his tests were at. And so anyway, to make a long story short, after he got out of the hospital, he did live, uh, he had a team of five doctors. And we were in a doctor's office for the first year every couple of weeks. He had a nephrologist, which is a kidney doctor. He had a urologist. He had his internist. He had some gastrointestinal problems during that time that it landed us in the emergency room. And he had a neurologist because of 
his kidney function, his kidneys had gotten so bad that it had affected affected his uh, neurological system. Wow. So we would go to a urologist, and 10 days later we had an appointment with the nephrologist, and she would say, well, I need to get some blood tests done on you before we can decide what to do next. And that I let that happen once. And then the next time it happened, and the time after that, and time after that, I said, he just had tests done a week ago. I see. Ago. So, so there was a team of five doctors. Each of the five doctors were ordering the same test. That's right. And so I got copies of everything, and I'd say, here are the copies of the test. they say, oh, great. Now they could see exactly where he was at. They could decide what to do there. So we saved the cost of the repeat test. We saved the cost of a follow-up appointment. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm speaking with Margot Corbett, creator of the Savvy Patients Toolkit. We're discussing how patients can take responsibility for improving their care and even lowering the cost of care. So carrying around copies of your test results to subsequent physicians may save tests. Boy, that saves being stuck, too. That's a... That's a no-brainer. It seems like one of the the things we hear about coming from the government is a desire to see us move to a single electronic medical record. Is, is that something that you're thinking we need, or are you think, thinking that we just need to carry around a file folder that has our medical record? We need both. And my biggest fear is with electronic medical records, patients are going to think the doctor has everything he needs to know about him and that they are not going to have to be any even less involved than they already are. That's my biggest fear for electronic medical records. As far as being a proponent of them, absolutely. I volunteered when I lived in Tennessee for CareSpark, which is their effort uh, in northeast Tennessee, southwest Virginia, to implement electronic medical records, and I am now volunteering for Inchica, and I'm on the customer Consumer Advisory Council for that organization. And yesterday I had the privilege of being on a panel representing the consumer and we met with the legislature in Raleigh, which was an interesting experience. Um, so I got to tell them some of the things that that I'm telling you now um, as far as needing things to happen. But the electronic medical records are absolutely necessary. They're going to do a lot to cut out the duplicate tests if they're used properly. And if people if the doctors access the information in them properly. One can imagine a world where if if doctors had compatible electronic medical record systems, then patients could walk around with their own medical records on a USB drive, include all their tests, all their x-rays, everything, even the images could be on that little USB drive, and you could carry it to any doctor you wanted, and they would have your complete records uh, available um, to help uh, take care of you. It, well, it, the infrastructure that they're building toward is going to supposed to allow that connectivity. I still have yet to see how easy it's going to be to use on the provider's side. Uh, I'm still concerned about the time, the length of time doctors have versus the amount of time that it's going to take them to access things from other doctors' records. Uh, because I don't think all the patient's information is going to be housed in one place. So in my, my opinion at the moment is the jury is out on how efficient that system is going to be as far as getting information you know, in between.
between the doctors. Yes, I, I could imagine some family physicians are thinking, well, gee, you're better off just seeing your family physician who has uh, continuity of care and has gotten to know you and your family and can follow things over time and coordinate your care. But along with that, uh, certainly electronic medical records could be complementary. I, I wonder if people would be worried about losing their USB drive, about somebody getting a hold of it and having access to their entire medical record and confidentiality issues. Although those, yeah, that's, those... that's a big concern in the whole building of electronic medical records. Now, there's a lot of PHRs, personal health records, being built and being touted on the Internet. Those I do not recommend people engage in the use of. They are not secure. The ones that are being built for the use of physicians in hospitals are going to be as secure as their bank accounts. Um, for better or worse. For yeah. better or worse. <laughs> but I had an incident where I went to a heart clinic, and when I walked in there, they had a big horseshoe island out in the middle of the patient waiting area. And as I walked back to use the restroom while I was waiting to see the doctor, my chart was sitting on that island, and on top of my chart was a set of stickers that had my name, my address, my birth date, and my Social Security number. Anybody could have just peeled off one of those stickers. They would have never known it was missing. My identity could have been stolen. So the paper records, in my mind, are probably less secure than the electronic medical records that are coming are going to be. I think you're absolutely right about that. Well, let's... let's take for a moment some of these problems that we discussed as being the major issues and then discuss what patients can do themselves to take some responsibility and see if they can fix things. Do you think there are things patients can do to address the appointments being too short? Absolutely. Uh, they can, first of all, decide to become engaged in their health care. Uh, what I tell people is in today's medical system, in the world the way it is today, you need to become the leader the coordinator of your healthcare team, and a partner with each member of that team. That means changing the way you think about your relationship with your doctor. You need to expect him to be a consultant, an educator, a good listener, and not the person on the pedestal that people, especially in the older generation, grew up thinking that all doctors were on pedestals and they were very intimidated. And I've heard, I've had people tell me just recently that, oh, I wouldn't dare ask my doctor a question. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to make him feel bad that I thought that he didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah. And, you know, I could go further. And my experience is taking care of patients where they have some complex condition. There's multiple different treatment options. Each treatment has its advantages and disadvantages and costs and uh, feasibility hassles and how it's done. And I could take the time to educate the patient about each of these treatments. I hand them a written brochure that describes the advantages and disadvantages of each treatment. And at the end of all this, I say to the patient, well, which of these do you want? And they come back to me and they say, look, doc, I didn't go to medical school. Just tell me which one I should do. That's not an engaged patient. That's a patient who's coming in expecting to tell you a few things, and for you to do miracles for them and to make all of their decisions for them. And that way they don't have to be responsible for anything. And 
you know, I, I can't imagine living that way, but I guess there are plenty of people that do. And there are a lot of people who are just lazy. and They don't want to learn. But um, it, it befuddles me that people don't want to be part of a joint decision-making process, and that's what I try and set people up to be able to do. I um, can't speak for all doctors because I'm sure that, like patients, they vary as well. And, and some doctors probably like telling patients, look, this is what you should do. And follow my instructions, and everything should go great. But I, I prefer, um, I actually prefer educating patients and letting them tell me what is best for them because there's advantages and disadvantages to these treatments, and some people weigh some things more than others. And so sometimes there really is no one right answer um, that I could could tell a patient as a doctor. Um, let me tell our listeners, if you're seeing me, uh, I encourage you, ask the questions, be engaged, help me make the decision because uh, it's your life, and um, I may not know what's best for you. That's right. Patients need to learn to make the decisions that are best for them, and they don't even feel, I don't think people feel empowered to be able to do that. Uh, And if, if you're handing them all of the information, I've got forms in my book that help them capture the pros and the cons and help them go through the decision-making process to lay things out. You know, like when I was diagnosed with cancer, like every cancer patient, you've got a myriad of potential treatments. And how do you make the choice? And, you know, the doctor doesn't know enough about you and your lifestyle and other aspects of your life and and your health to, to be able to tell you, well, this is the one that's going to work best for you unless you know each other very, very well. So patients are just leaving themselves open for bad side effects um, and errors of all sorts by not getting engaged and not being part of that decision-making. On top of that, people who aren't part of the decision-making and who just are waiting for the orders to come, 50 to 65% of the time don't follow through with the treatment plan, whatever it is. And they end up having complications or getting their condition goes to a more serious stage, and then they really get themselves into trouble. So people need to understand that by not becoming part of the research, the understanding, and the decision-making process, they could be causing themselves a lot more problems down the road. Well, you've hit on my favorite area of all in all of medicine, and that is whether patients take their medicines or not. and I, I've done research studies where we've put computer chips in the caps of the medication container and, and seen how poorly patients actually use their medicine. Sure, there are some anal retentive people who use their medicine really well, um, but then there's the majority of folks who aren't fully taking their medicine. In your book, do you just tell people to take their medicine better or do you give them specific advice or protocols on how they can do a better job taking their medications? Well, I've got several forms around medications. One is to keep track of all of your medications. Know what you're taking, what it looks like, um, when you started taking it, when you stopped taking it, who prescribed it, why it was prescribed, and the common complications or things that you need to know about that medication. That's on a form. And we, you know, with the way medicine's going these days, they're finding that uh, studies have come out that say 
if, like, I had a doctor that put me on a Vandia. I should never have been put on a Vandia, but I was on it for two years. And now they're saying people that have taken a Vandia, if you've had heart attacks or heart problems, you may be, you know, you hear those things on television. We never know when studies are going to show that some health issue that we have could be related to a medication that we've taken sometime in the past and if we've taken it for a certain length of time. How are we going to know that if we don't keep those records? So that's one form, and that just and that form is there, you know, to help you when you go to see any health care provider, and they need to know what you're on. Yes. It's got the dose. It's got everything there. That, that, that's great, but can you make somebody take their medicine better? Uh, I've got medication schedules so that they can put out when they need to take them, and then I recommend that they use a pill organizer box if they're taking more than one or two medications. I'll tell you, my pill organizer box is right here in front of me, and uh, I would not be able to take even one medicine regularly without such a box. That's right. I've been using them. I had my neighbor that I was advocating for when after my husband had his kidney failure. She was constantly in and out of the hospital in the emergency room. She was on Coumadin, as I was at the time, and she wasn't writing anything down. And one day I spent the whole day in there while she was getting blood transfusions because she had been bleeding internally for over three weeks. Oh, too much cumin. All right. So yeah. the, 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 the ultimate question we were trying to answer was how to deal with appointments that are too short. So by getting engaged, are you getting more of the doctor's time or are you just using it more efficiently? You're using it more efficiently. And guess what? We found that we – you're. I'm talking to a doctor now. We retrained our doctors. Fair enough. We, we did. We, we did. like that here. Once, once we started using this system with the specialists that we were using where we used to live, uh, they started interacting different with us because we were interacting different with them. Excellent. And they sat down and they relaxed with us, and never did we get kicked out before we had all our questions answered and before things were done. I think we were a breath of fresh air in their day. They are so used to those patients that don't follow the plan, that don't understand what they're doing, that I think you guys label as non-compliant patients, and that immediately sets up a negative environment between doctor and patient when the doctor gets frustrated because the patient isn't following the plan. Uh, you guys are only human, and it's got to be very hard for you to deal with patients on an ongoing basis who are not following your recommendations. Now. Were you accepting a random appointment time during the day, or, or were you trying to get the first one or the last one? Did you have any, um, what's the word I'm looking for, any strategy for what appointment time you took? Uh, frequently, I will try to get the first appointment of the afternoon or the first appointment in the morning just because I don't have time to wait. I'm too busy. Um, but other than that, no. And regardless of what time of day we had our appointments, I have always found that we've been very careful about our selection of doctors as well, and I've got a chapter in the book on how to select your doctors to make sure that it's the right one for you. What's really good, a good doctor for your cousin may not be right for you because you have two entirely different ways of working, entirely different personalities, entirely different interaction styles and needs. So it's really important that people, if they had harmony for for doctor-patient matches, it would be great, um, so that you could find a doctor that you could really work well with. And then 
be using a system similar to the one that I've developed, um, you really get the attention of your doctor. Now, the, the next major issue after appointments being too short, we discussed was that it might be too long to get an appointment. You have a strategy for dealing with that? No, I wish I did. Oh, all right. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, hopefully in the, the third edition of your book, we'll, we'll, we'll have the solution to that. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? Yeah. Now, we've talked about missing test results. Uh, electronic medical records may help, but clearly um, you're an advocate for people having their own file with their test results. Okay, and there's more than reasons than there's more of a reason than just having it available if the doctor doesn't have it. For one thing, the computers could be down the day you have your appointment. Oh, great point. So it's always great to have a backup system. You cannot learn about yourself if you don't have the information. The way I have set up the forms to capture test results, they literally can see if you're getting a glucose or a cholesterol test or a sodium test, doesn't matter what it is, it's captured in a way that you can look across a row on a chart, and I suggest people color code them. Uh, mine, I do all, everything that's in the normal range is in black. Everything that's above the normal range is in red. Below the normal range is in green. So I can look across my chart, and I can very easily tell whether things are going well or not going well or whether I'm trending in a, in a way. Mar- Margo, was your degree in accounting or, or something along those lines? Because I have this, this general sense that when I see patients who come to see me and they've got a multicolored Excel spreadsheet showing everything they've ever done, that they're one of those truly anal retentive people who, you know, who was born to be a certified public accountant or some such thing. No, I got my, ma- my bachelor's degree in medical technology. I did hospital laboratory tests. All right. Well, um, The next big issue is walking away confused. So we discussed have an advocate, take notes. I would add get the instructions in writing. I mean, how many different things does an individual doctor take care of that in the modern world of computers they couldn't have a patient handout ready to print out on the vast majority of things that they take care of? Wouldn't it be great? Yeah, and that's where the person taking the notes, as the doctor is giving the instruction, the person is taking the notes. And if the person has any questions before they leave that's taking the notes, they can ask for clarification. What I recommend people do is that they, right after the appointment, as they get in the car to go wherever they're going, the person that's not driving looks it over and reads to the other person what's on there, makes sure they both understand things in the right way, the same way, and if they don't, call back and get it clarified. Yeah. I, let me just suggest that why leave the office uh, before it, you've done that? Out. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay. Too many medicines. Is there a solution for that? I was asking the right questions. The, the whole list of questions that I have would help people to make sure that this is a, a medication that they need if they understand why they're getting it, what it's supposed to do for them, what they can expect from it, and so on and so forth, they can really question the doctor. And as Dr. Jerome Groupman says in How Doctors Think, patients can do a lot to help expand doctors' thinking and think of other options, whether it comes to a diagnosis or a treatment or something else. And I've had a lot of doctors say, patients, all they want me to do is give them a pill. 
And if I don't give them a pill, then they don't feel like I've taken care of them. Yes, and I, I want to say to those doctors, then you're not doing your job. But on the other hand, I say to the patient, if that's what you're going in there expecting, then you can expect to have problems if you just expect a pill for everything. All right. Then there's the mother of all problems, the cost. Now, we, we've talked about how patients can help avoid duplicate testing. Um, are there other cost issues? Medical errors are a huge, huge factor in cost, especially when you're in the hospital. The average hospital error at the moment that it happens, this is just at the time of happening, costs $8,700. That doesn't include any of the other costs that might go along with it as far as remedying the situation, uh, the costs afterwards of, like, I've got, from one of my errors, I've had to have ongoing medical care for 30 years. Wow. That has cost money. It has seriously decreased the quality of my life and on and on. So if a patient can prevent an error, I mean, when you're in the hospital, make sure people, everybody washes their hands before they touch you. If a nurse drops something on the floor and picks it up to use it, ask them to throw it away. Every pill they bring to you, make sure it's the right one so that you don't, and look in the thing. Make sure it looks the same. And if it hasn't been changed and it doesn't look the same, don't take it. You know, there's a lot of things people can do, and I've got it lined out, you know, in the book and in my help guides and everything else to just head off a lot of things that happen. Uh, Doctors and nurses, nurses especially in the hospitals these days, they're short-staffed. They've become paper pushers just as much as the doctors have. Uh, They don't have the systems in place. I'm a big systems person. I did... I helped business people improve the way they do their work, Uh, led them through. I led lots of teams through improving their work processes. And I know that a lot of the processes that healthcare providers have to work in are sub-optimized. And when a system is bad, you can have the best person and the best worker in the world there and the greatest mind. But if the system's flawed, problems are going to happen. All right. I think we can do a whole show on that. One of the things that that I hear some people saying increases the cost of care is malpractice and the tendency of physicians to order tests that aren't really needed um, to help prevent malpractice down the road. Do you think that's an issue? And if so, do you think there's anything, any any role patients play in, in, in reducing those costs? Absolutely. I think that when a person becomes engaged in their care and starts making joint decisions, the chances and become more knowledgeable, the chances of an error happening that's going to create a malpractice situation get greatly diminished. And I think a patient that is truly involved in their care and understands what's going on, if an error does happen, they're going to be less likely to sue because they have a much better understanding of the whole situation. They've built a much better rapport, so it's not me versus him. We did this together. I like that. I like the idea of reducing the amount of malpractice. What about reducing the needless testing being done? Do you think that would would have? I mean, you look at an MRI that costs I don't know five five thousand or more dollars, um, and it's being done or it's being offered. 
where it's being suggested to rule out something that's extraordinarily unlikely. Should the patient just go ahead and have it done, or do you think there's a, a reason that, that they would play a role in saying, you know, it's so unnecessary, I'm not going to bother? Well, I've got another set of questions around diagnostic procedures. And in those questions are, <clears throat> why are you ordering this? What benefit is it going to have? How will it help in the decision-making? What is, uh, I can't remember all the questions off the top of my head, but you get the gist of it. Yeah. yeah I guess you'd want to know what are the, the risks of the procedure as That's well. That's right. Is Risk it worth the potential small little benefit that they're making? That's right. So right. you get through answering all those questions, then it helps take the doctor off the hook, whether he realizes it or not, for ordering it just to cover the potential of a lawsuit. Because by the time you get through with that dialogue with the patient, both parties, I think, real, begin to realize whether or not it's really necessary. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman. We've been speaking today with Margot Corbett, the creator of the Savvy Patients Toolkit. Margot, how do people get a hold of the Savvy Patients Toolkit? Well, <clears throat> it's available through my website, www.savvypatienttoolkit.com. It's also available on just about every Internet books, bookstore that's out there. It comes in several versions. One is without a CD, that's for people who don't use computers and want to just cut out the forms and use them as their master to create their savvy patient health record. Or it comes with the CD and all the forms are available so that people can fill in and computerize their records or and or print them out so they can keep them by hand. I do a combination of both because I don't have time to sit down at the computer every time I want to put something in. And then I do a catch-up every once in a while. Um, it also comes on my website only. The whole Savvy Patient Health Record is already set up with all the forms in behind the tabs the way I recommend people start out with it and then customize it if that particular arrangement doesn't work for them. And I have also created a condensed version of the book for people who just don't have time to read the whole book and want just how to fill out the forms and how to use the information. So it comes in a variety. I also have a course based on my book. I can, it's available at uh, www.savvypatientschool.com, and that's an audio course. It's a total of about eight hours of recording, but it's done in 20-minute segments. So once you've paid and logged in, you've got access to it as long as the site is there so that you can do it at your own pace, at your own time. At some point, you may want to make a the one-sentence condensed version, which is take responsibility. <laughs> Well, I say help doctors help you. Very good. Well, before I let you go, uh, we've covered so many good practical things patients can do. Were there any other specific suggestions you want to share or, or reiterate before I let you go? Well, I say get engaged, learn all you can, learn how to tell your story and act, interact effectively with your doctors. Know that you can make a big difference in the care you receive. You can prevent medical errors. You can help lower costs, but most important, you can gain, gain a tremendous amount of confidence and peace of mind about your health care, your health care decisions, and your treatment plan. Margot, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for putting this together, for uh, taking your areas of expertise and combining that with your own 
medical history to come up with something that so many patients desperately need. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and I've enjoyed very much speaking with you. I greatly appreciate what Margot has done because I'm a big believer that patients should be more engaged and involved in their medical care. Margot's approach is to give people tools that they can use to take charge, to become more involved in making sure that they don't have unnecessary tests, to do a better job taking their medication, to make sure they know what medications they're on, to make sure they avoid complicated drug interactions. Just the other day, I had a patient who was on a medication that was absolutely not supposed to be taken with a particular antibiotic because of a risk of death, and yet they were given that antibiotic and they started taking it. Um, And sure, you could lay the blame at a lot of places, including um, at me for not making more sure the patient wouldn't do this, but patients can take control and help avoid these kinds of things from happening. And Margot is offering you the tools to do this. You can access her information at her website, www.savvypatientsschool.com. That's www.savvypatientsschool.com. Or you can get to her Savvy Patients Toolkit at www.savvypatientsschool.com. And her blog is beyondapersonalhealthrecord.blogspot.com. And if you'll just Google Beyond a Personal Health Record, I'm sure it will take you there. I want to recap a few of her suggestions. Be more engaged and knowledgeable about your care. You want to know as much about your health care as anything else that you would research in your life. Know what medicines you're on. Have a record of what medicines you've taken in the past, what kind of doses, what kind of effects they had. Make sure you've received all your test results and keep them filed away. Bring them with you to visit so that those tests don't have to be repeated. Get instructions and get them in writing. It doesn't hurt to have a health advocate uh, take notes for you and be with you at the visit. I'll add that I think it's great to give your doctor feedback. Let them know to what extent they're meeting your needs. Give them positive reinforcement for the things that you really like that they're doing well. They'll do more of it in the future. If there's anything that they could be doing better, let them know that too because your doctor wants to give you great health care. I hope you found these recommendations helpful. I greatly appreciate you listening to our show today, and I hope you'll join us next time. Our theme music is by the wonderfully talented Michael Zioli. I wish you the best of health and the best possible health care. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to health care empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Health Care.